Well, good morning. <laughs> you know, pastor is so cute. <laughs> and you hear an introduction like he gave just then for you, and you're sitting on the front row, and you know what the donkey felt like that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on. Because I believe the shout, the donkey, even though he's a donkey, I believe he realized the shouts and the accolades he heard were not for him, but the one he carried, the one we all carry. Amen? Do me a favor. Turn to the person next. You just smile and say, you are the best looking thing I've seen all day. <laughs> say, man. Just say, you are hot. You must be Puerto Rican. You got to be. <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I came across something I thought you might enjoy. Mr. Johnson, a 70-year-old widower. He's also a very wealthy widower. Uh, he's a multimillionaire. He wasn't feeling well, so he went to the doctor. The doctor thoroughly checks him out, sends him on his way. Several weeks later, the doctor sees that same Mr. Johnson. Now he's at the country club, but now he has a 20-year-old blonde, hot bombshell girl hanging all over him. So the doctor pulls him aside and says, wow, Mr. Johnson. You must be feeling a whole lot better. He said, yeah, man, I really do. The doctor said, well, what's going on in your life? He said, well, doc, I'm just trying to follow your orders. The doctor said, well, what order is that? He said, well, you said find a hot mama and be cheerful. <laughs> the doctor said, no, I didn't. I said, you have a heart murmur. Be careful. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Old Mr. Johnson, he went to the doctor and he had a preconceived idea of what he was going to hear. And so many times we come to the house of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, who the Bible describes as the great physician. He wants to whisper something to you. And if you're not careful, you have a preconceived idea of what you're going to hear and receive. And I want you to hear it exactly the way the Holy Spirit gives it. And I want you to join with me in the book of Luke, the third chapter. For this morning, I'm going to lay a foundation for what we are about to experience tonight and Monday night and Tuesday night. Uh, I want to strongly suggest that you come out. I believe unless the Lord changes things, tonight I'll be speaking on how God speaks to us even in our Gethsemane. How God speaks to us even in our doubts. We're currently living in a time of political unrest. We're living in a time of many questions, many voices, many choices, uh, ultra-sensationalism, and people have so many doubts, and they're wondering, and the fear is running rampant in our streets, in our homes, fear of the economy, and fear of so many different things. And I'm going to address that tonight, how God will speak to you even in your personal Gethsemane. How he'll just let you know he's there. And this morning, I want to lay the foundation. I want to speak to you on the genuine power of expectation. I will not hold you long. Uh, that's what Elizabeth Taylor told husband number six. But, but I will give you a faith-building message. Look with me now to Luke chapter 3, verse 15. The genuine power or the raw power of expectation. 
Now, as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mighty night is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, the key to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire that we just read in verse 16 is first seen in verse 15, where it says, now the people were in expectation. Now the people were in expectation. Now the location of this verse is very significant because up to this time there had been 400 years of silence. The Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi and the, this is followed by 400 years where all of heaven is silent. God refuses to speak. No prophets, no words from the Lord. And we move 400 years into the present, and Dr. Luke gives us a glimpse into the atmosphere that God was searching for, that he might pour out the Holy Spirit in Acts, the second chapter, almost as if he's pulling back the veil. And the atmosphere was described this way, and the people were in expectation. And the people were in expectation. In my study, I began to ask the Holy Spirit, were you silent for 400 years waiting for the church to birth a spirit of expectancy? Well, the answer, of course, was yes. Okay, then, Lord, are you really silent in America? Are we not seeing miracles and healings like they are in third world nations because you are again waiting for the church of America to birth a spirit of expectation? And the answer is yes. Are you expecting? The New Williams translation says it this way. Now, while the people were on tiptoes in their expectation, I love that. Like a child up on his tiptoes at Christmas, he's waiting to see what has been prepared for him, and he's on his tiptoes with expectation. Friends, I believe it is tiptoe time in the body of Christ. I also believe it is tiptoe time around this church, Church on the Rock. I believe it's time to get up on our tiptoes. See, we need to come to a deep understanding that if God is going to do something in an end-time church, boy, that's a loaded statement. If God is going to do something in an end-time church, well, pastor, are we in the end times? Well, I don't know, but it's starting to look pretty significant. And the, the answer is, truly, no man knows when the coming of the Son of Man shall be, not even the angels of heaven. So a better question is this. Is this the end times? I don't know. But it's your end times and mine. And we don't get any more years than we have now. And will you live your life for Christ with expectancy? Will you live your life for Christ for an impact? And we need to keep, come to a deep understanding that if God is going to do something in an end time church, let's bring it home. If God is going to do something in Church on the Rock in Huntley, Illinois, he first is looking for a people who have expectation. Are you expecting? See, we need to expect God to move, to do the impossible with great anticipation, with great expectation, saying, God, I can't wait to see what's going to happen today. You, friend, when you come to the house of the Lord, you must worship in expectation. You must give your, uh, your tithe and your offering in expectation. 
You must expect the power of the Holy Spirit to move. Why? Because the atmosphere where the presence of the fire of the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God is poured out, well, it's the atmosphere that is filled with expectation. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. I want to announce to you today that there is nothing between you and your miracle. Jesus has already taken every obstacle to the cross. He has nailed it there. And you need to be upon your tiptoes with expectation, believing that God is ready to do something in your life right now. Something in your life today. You need to expect God to pour out a spirit on your family, on your children, on your grandchildren. Expect pain to leave your body. Expect your healing. Expect to receive your miracle. Expect to be delivered from your alcoholism, from drug addiction, from every single fear, depression, and defeat. Because where the power of God is moving, the people are filled with expectation. I would be a multimillionaire if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, Pastor, I can't sleep at night. And I'll always try to answer them, whether it's through social media or they call my cell phone or whatever it is. And I'll ask, well, why can't you sleep? And they'll say, well, there's a myriad of reasons. And do you know that the vast majority of those myriad of reasons are all the same? The biggest one I get is, I can't sleep at night because... I'm worried about the choices my adult children are making. The second one, I, I'm worried about the economy. I, I'm worried about the public schools. Those are the three top ones. Worried that when I drop my children off, what they're going to deal with and what they're going to be taught. And I'd be a multimillionaire if I had a, time, a, a dollar every time someone said, I can't sleep at night. And I always will answer the same way, well, it's time to expect a spirit of rest to fill your life. That when you're walking to your bedroom, you need to be praying, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you for a spirit of rest. Well, how can I do that? How can you expect a spirit of rest? Because the Bible said, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That spirit of rest that God wants to bring. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked down the hallway in my own home or in a hotel room and said, Lord, I'm expecting a spirit of rest because you said I could have it. Because you said, Lord, I could have it. And I'm a joint heir with Christ, which means I have a right to every promise in God's word. A joint heir with Christ. Psalms 119 and 126, it says, It's time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. In other words, when you see people disregarding God and his word. When you see the culture turning away from the power of God and what the Bible teaches. In other words, when you see them laughing at a biblical worldview. We here at Church on the Rock, we believe in a biblical worldview. That simply means we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Every dot, every jot, every tittle is the inspired word of God. So we filter our entire life, not through the Republicans or the Democrats or the Independents or the Tea Party. We, we don't filter it through the current culture. We filter our life through the written word of God. 
If you believe that, I want someone to clap your hands and give him praise. Yeah. The way we operate in our finances, the way we treat our husband and our wife, the way we raise our children, the way we entertain our families, all is filtered through the written word of God. That's a biblical worldview. And when you see people mocking a biblical worldview, you say, well, what do you mean mocking it? Well, when they're mocking the view of the Bible about marriage and the family, that marriage is between a man and a woman. That is not a political statement. That is a biblical statement. For God said, let us create them in our image. He created them in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. He created them male and female. And by the way, I need to say, there is no gender confusion in heaven. There is no gender confusion in heaven. Young lady, God selects your gender. Young man, God selects your gender. He selects your hair color. He selects your eye color. He weaved you wonderfully together in your mother's womb. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, I saw you before you were even formed. That means God saw the life force that would be you. He saw you. He said, I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. I've got a call of God on that life. And he said, I will deliver them through their mother as either male or female. There is no gender confusion in heaven. However, the devil will try to confuse a culture and a generation. And we could speak a whole series of messages on that. I just spoke to about 2,000 college students on how to talk about the transgender from a biblical worldview. Maybe we'll have to do that next time we come. But there is no confusion in heaven. If you believe that, someone just shout amen. amen. When you see them arguing about the sanctity of life, that's a biblical worldview. We believe life begins at conception. I just share with you Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. I saw you before you were even formed. And when you see them mocking and laughing at God's word, laughing at the church, that's not a time to be depressed. <laughs> that's not a time to be worried and downcast. That simply means it's time for the church to look up in expectation. It's time for us to begin to say, Lord, now is the time you're going to move through church on the rock with healing in your wings to show a hurting and a lost culture and society that Jesus still loves them. He still cares for them. He wants to see their life brought out and better. Come on, if you believe that, someone just clap your hands and praise him that my God is greater than the things we're seeing. Many of you are facing giants in your life, like the young shepherd boy David. You've already had to defeat the lion and the bear. The lion and the bear for us would be symbolic of finances or just everyday things that you're fighting. But the giant that we are dealing with now is a giant called cancel culture. It's a giant that is trying to cause fear and doubt and worry. In other words, we're currently living with a culture with no morals, ethics, or integrity. If I had a dollar for every time someone said, Pastor, how do I raise my kids in this world? I have four children. They're all adults now. They're grown. My oldest is 31, and my son Morgan just turned 30, and my third son Quentin is 26, and he's about to give me my first grandson, he and his wife, on November 1st. Yeah, I can't wait. My daughter Ashton is 25, and I won't tell you how old my wife is. 
but we'll celebrate 34 years of marriage on November the 4th. Yeah. I know I don't look that old, but brown doesn't crack. Sorry. And uh, <laughs> white cracks, but you know, brown doesn't crack. And it used to be that there was a sense of morality in our nation. It used to be that you could tell the difference. And again, I'd be a very wealthy man if I had a dollar for every time one of these parents said, Pastor, how do I raise my kid in a gray world? It used to be black and white, now it's gray. And I look right at him and I smile and say, this is why you need to have a biblical worldview. And this is why you need to be around people with a biblical worldview. See, many are facing these giants, and the giant is trying to cause fear and doubt. The current giant is the culture. Let me tell you, just as God hand-selected Goliath for David to show his power flowing through David, that Israel might see the hand of God on David's life, so God has hand-selected you to be alive and well at this hour, at this time, that he might put his hand on your family, that he might put his hand in your church, that he might rise you up for the task at hand, that the current culture would say, oh, that's how you talk to your wife. Oh, that's how you do those things. That's how you raise your child. That's how you live, and that's how you stay married for 34 wonderful years in a place that no longer believes in marriage. Oh, friends, we are called of God for such a time as this. And that should make you want to shout to God that God has got his hand on your life. He hand-selected David and Goliath, and he's also hand-selected you, for he's also hand-selected your victory. It all depends on what you believe. Are you a believer? And do you know what you believe? Understand, Satan has the ability to construct a train of thought that so fits your way of thinking, you suppose it comes to your own line of reasoning. And there'll come these thoughts. And the thoughts will be, you're the only one on your job that has a biblical worldview. You're the only one in your neighborhood. You're the only one that is raising your kids that way. Don't you feel dumb? Don't you? You're the only one, and the devil will push you to isolation. That's why you've really got to know what you believe. And that is also why you need to be around people with a biblical worldview, and it is more critical than ever to have more than just a Sunday morning relationship. You've got to be around people in small groups or in home groups that will lift you up, that will come alongside of you and say you're not alone. You've got to know what you believe. So let me tell you what I believe so that you can understand that you're not the only one who believes that way. Now listen, when you hear something you believe, I want you to shout amen. It's okay to say that, right? When you hear something you believe, I want you to clap your hands. If you are Puerto Rican or Latin like me, you might want to stand up and do a little merengue. You know, I, I believe the same way. Because when you realize you're not the only one, joy begins to fill your life. In the presence of God, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. So let me tell you what I believe. And the moment you hear something you believe, you respond accordingly. Church, I believe in God's written word. I believe in God's promises. I believe what God said is true. 
I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who is our Lord and our Savior. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. I believe he descended into hell, and on the third day, he rose again, and he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. I believe in all 66 books of the Bible. I believe the time is coming when my Jesus will come again. That is when he will judge the living and the dead whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. I believe in the Holy Spirit who is the mirror image of Jesus Christ on planet earth until Jesus comes again. I believe in the Holy Christian Church. I believe in the forgiveness of sin. I believe in the millennial reign. And I believe in your time and mine. We will hear the trumpet sound of God. The dead in Christ shall rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air with King Jesus. Now if you believe like I do, somebody clap your hands and praise him that my Jesus is still alive and well. Oh, come on, don't patty cake him. Somebody praise him. My Lord. My Lord. Oh, y'all sit down. We're not done yet. Hallelujah. Friends, please understand through that belief we develop a passion for God that drives our life. It drives our marriage. It drives our, our passions. Because Jesus says, I could have it. The raw power of expectation is seen in Acts, the third chapter, where the Bible says there was a lame man and he sat there daily. Daily. This is a very familiar popular scripture that I've heard many preachers preach. And they say that the miracle was dependent upon Peter and James saying, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus arise and walk. Now listen, I believe there's power in Jesus' name. I believe there's healing in Jesus' name. I believe there's deliverance in Jesus' name. But notice the power in Jesus' name did not activate itself. <laughs> notice that the miracle for the lame man was dependent upon Acts 3.5. Where it says, so he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from those men. Are you expecting? The power in Jesus' name was triggered by this man's expectation. And throughout Scripture, that concept of expectation is seen through healings throughout the entire New Testament. Are you expecting? Listen, you're looking at me and I'm looking at you. You come every week and look at Pastor Josh and he smiles at you. We know you're here, but we don't know if you're expecting anything. This man's attitude was, I don't hope, I don't think, I expect. I expect to receive something from those men. In other words, he said, I'm going to put a demand on the anointing that's in their life. Sometime this week, I'm going to put, or I'm going to teach you, how you can put a demand on the anointing. The anointing is the personality of the Holy Spirit. You receive it at salvation. And as a child of God, you have a right. The word demand simply means a, a legal right or demand because of who you are to put a demand on the anointing resting in that man's life right there. 
You could literally pull the anointing out of him. You could pull the anointing out of the praise team. You have to come in a couple nights to hear how. But the first step is expectation. And there's something that the enemy is tormented by. It's recorded in 1 John 3 and 2 where it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Church on the rock, the devil is not concerned with what used to be. The devil is not concerned with what you are. No, please understand what you are has put you on the radars of hell. The very moment that you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, the devil makes note of where you live, where your children live, where your family abides, where they go to church, where they go to school. You're on the radar of hell. And all of hell is on high alert. Not what you used to be, not what you are, but what you can be in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now let me explain to you quickly why you are a military target. Because you're looking at me saying, well, you know what, Randy, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an apostle. Why is it the devil is attacking me so hard? Simply because Jesus loves you. Because you're a friend of Jesus. There's a man in scripture by the name of Lazarus who would have lived to a ripe old age, void of any major contribution to revival in Jerusalem, has Satan left well enough alone. But Satan, out of sheer raw spite, makes Lazarus a target because Jesus loves him. He had no idea that when he hit Lazarus and kills him, that he's about to see a resurrection. For Jesus was about to go into that tomb, look up to heaven and say, Father, thank you that you have heard me, and then call Lazarus out. That is why he, the devil is attacking you. And the devil is really not concerned about my past and my present. has got his attention. But what we can be in the power of the Holy Spirit, what this church can be, has all of hell in panic mode. And there must be something. The devil knows that his time is short. There must be something on the horizon, apparently, by the way he's attacking the church here lately. There must be something that has not yet appeared, that God is about to do something so supernatural in the church, and Satan realizes it, and the devil realizes he wants to use church on the rock. He wants to use every individual that he is now saying, we've got to begin to attack. There's got to be something on the horizon that is coming, that God wants to use this church to shake the gates of hell, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against what God wants to do. It's coming. So right now, I want you to forget the person to the left and to the right. We're not done, but the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart that you need to worship him right now with a spirit of expectation. I want you to close your eyes, forget the person to the left and to the right, and I want you to lift your hands and say, here we are, Lord. We're taking a little praise break right now, Father. We want you to lift your voice. I want you to lift your hands. Somebody praise him with expectation. Somebody let out the voice of God. Somebody say, Holy Spirit, we're expecting the rain from heaven to fall. Somebody praise the Lord that the storm clouds are gathering over our church right now. Come on, praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Say, Lord, I'm expecting miracles. We're expecting healings in the name of Jesus. Because eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for those who love him. Oh, just for a couple more seconds, Lord, we praise you, Lord. 
We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. I know when I make statements like I do that there are several that are sitting there and they'll say, well, Randy, to be quite honest, my faith is not what it used to be. Because of everything that's happening politically and economically and it's happening in Ukraine with Russia, my faith is not what it used to be. To you, I would say, my friend, aren't you glad we serve a God that's greater than your faith? Well, Brother Randy, you know, my faith is not what it used to be, but neither is my prayer life. I, I feel like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, and I, I'm not making any connections. Again, to you, aren't you glad that we serve a God greater than your prayer life? I had a gentleman who'd been in ministry longer than I've been alive. I just turned 57, and he'd been in ministry 60 years, and he looked at me and this man had been used mightily by God, and he looked right at me and he said, Pastor, i got to tell you, I feel like God has forgotten me. And do you know, in each and every one of our lives, you will have a time where the enemy will try to convince you that God has forgotten you. And I looked right at him and I said, my friend, Hebrews 6.10 says, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love. For God to forget you, he would have to be unrighteous, and that's impossible. The question is, are you expecting? Or have you allowed the current culture to steal your expectation in the miracle-working, powerful God? Are you expecting? Would you just turn to the person next to you and quietly and ask them, are you expecting? Some of you men not get, might get an answer you're not expecting. <laughs> When Carlene and I were, we were just kids, you know, I was 26 and she was 26 years old and she said, I don't feel good. And so I took her to the doctor and I was young and naive and stupid. She was smart. I was young, naive and stupid. And, and I was sitting there in the doctor's office and he walks in and he said, well, kid, you're expecting. I said, expecting what? <laughs> he said, well, you're expecting a baby. And I panicked. And he must have seen the look on my face because he said, now, 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 don't worry. Just prepare and expect. Prepare and expect. Would you say that to yourself just quietly? Prepare and expect. Say it again. Prepare and expect. So my wife took him literally, and as we're walking out, she looked at me and she said, hey, pal, uh, we, I got to say, we had a little tiny two-bedroom apartment in Los Angeles, California, and one of the bedrooms I used as an office, and we're going to the elevator, and my wife looked at me. We just launched the ministry, and she goes, hey, pal. I said, yeah. She says, when we get home, I want you to take your desk and your file cabinet and put it in the garage. I said, why would I do that? She said, didn't you hear him? Prepare and expect. We need a nursery. And so your stuff is out. I looked at her in the elevator and I said, look, I don't even know what the kid looks like and I don't like him already. <laughs> so several months go by, we go back, we're heading into our third trimester and the doctor says, well, are you preparing? Yeah, 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 we're preparing. Listen, when you're expecting, everything changes. Even the way you talk, even the way you spend your money, when you're expecting, 
everything changes. Even the people you surround yourself with, because you're, you're expecting. Everything changes. So we go back for our third trimester, and the doctor says, well, now you've got to go to Lamaze. I said, why do I got to go to Lamaze? He said, because you're the coach. I said, oh, great. So we go to Lamaze. I'm sitting there on the floor. She's sitting between my legs. I'm rubbing vitamin E oil all over her belly because white people crack. <laughs> and I'm rubbing, you know, and we're hoo, hoo, hee, hee, hoo, hoo, hee, hee. <laughs> Deep cleansing breath. <sighs> now everything was wonderful. Prepare and expect, prepare and expect. Everything was wonderful until she hit six centimeters. Up to that point, we're going to have a baby. It's going to be wonderful. Hoo, 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 hee, hee, hoo, hoo. Deep cleansing breath. <laughs> she said, you did this to me. Come here. I said, uh-uh. I cast out things that sound like that. <laughs> she said, get me something. Hoo, hoo, hee, hee. I don't know. Deep cleansing breath. <laughs> We're in the car headed to the hospital, and she looked over at me, and she said, right now, I want to pull your lip over the top of your head. So you know what it feels like. Well, we get to the hospital, and she said, I hate you. God's honest truth. She's sitting on the edge of the bed like this. <sighs> I hate you. You'll never touch me again. <laughs> we got four kids. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> she said, get me something. So I ran out in the hallway. I said, help. And here came the anesthesiologist. You know, he just. I said, brother, you better put a step in that walk. He goes, kid, I've seen it before. I said, you haven't seen it like this. She got a forked tongue and horns on the top of her head. She hates me. Do something, she hates me. He sits her up and he finds her epidural tract. Guys, I thought we were tough. But they drill a hole in their back. And he finds that epidural tract and he puts that in there. And she goes, oh, whew, we're going to have a baby. And thank God she started to rest because I was getting tired. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit will teach you the most amazing prophetic truth through everyday things if you'll just listen. And he whispered and he said, you know, mijo, because the Holy Spirit's Puerto Rican. He said, what you're experiencing, the church experiences on a daily basis, but they don't understand it. You see, the church will lay in intimacy with me in the altars of grace. And the Holy Spirit will overshadow you the same way he overshadowed Mary. And you become impregnated with miracles, with healings, with deliverance, with an anointing that breaks every stronghold in your life. With the same presence that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God. 
And just at the point when you're about to birth a miracle, when you're about to see a great move of his presence, it gets the most difficult, and that's when people abort the blessing. They'll get up and they'll walk away from God because it's so difficult. And with tears in my eyes, I sat there listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he said, son, if they would just wait on me. If they would come to the altars of grace in the same way that that epidural calmed her and gave her an assurance, the Holy Spirit will interject into your spirit, man, a peace that passes every understanding. For Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but notice it is a personal thing, my peace. It's the same peace that he had as he walked the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem. It's the same peace that he had when he stood before the Sanhedrin, when he stood before the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's the same peace that he had when he walked on the storm out to the disciples in the middle of a storm in the Galilee. It is the same peace that carried our Jesus to the cross at Calvary. He said, my peace I give to you. My peace I want you to partake of. That is what he is offering right now in these altars, a peace that passes all understanding. I'm almost finished. How many of you will give me five more minutes to finish this? Can I see your hand? I, keep your hand up because I got to count. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25. <laughs> in Mark 10 and 50, we are told that Bartimaeus had a beggar's garment. Remember, we're talking about the power of expectancy. Now, we read over this, and we don't understand in our Western mentality, but did you know the government issued them an official beggar's garment? And during Bible times, if you were a paralytic or if you had uh, leprosy or if you were deaf, if you were blind, you would go before the city magistrate, and the magistrate would check you out to make sure you weren't a charlatan, and he would give you a certain color jacket or cloak that signified to the rest of the culture that you definitely were a beggar and they could give to you knowing that they were not getting taken from their money. So beggars were defined by what the culture said they were. Did you hear what I just said? Beggars were defined by what the culture said they were. And there are people watching me right now, either by live stream or sitting here live in this, in this building. You're living your life based upon what the culture says you are. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was passing by, he did something amazing. He took his garment and he threw it away. He threw off his comfort zone. He let go of his safety net. This was his only way of surviving. In essence, he was saying, I'm tired of the culture defining who I am. I'm tired of society telling me how great or how blessed or how, how good my life can be. And the question to you this morning is, are there, is there anyone here that is tired of the culture trying to define who you are? Are you tired of the culture saying you're never going to amount to much? Look at your mother. Look at your father. Look at your family. You, you'll never graduate. You'll never go to college. You, you'll never advance. You can only hope for this economic thing. It, it, you can only hope to live in this area. Don't expect anything more. No, I'm sorry for him, but the moment you become a child of God, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new again. 
And the power of expectation is God can do amazing things in your life because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was sink or swim for Bartimaeus. He was saying, if Jesus is anywhere near me, I may not got my healing yet, but if he's anywhere near me, I'm expecting the miracle from heaven. Are you expecting? He said, I've got to lean on him and not my own understanding. See, we started out reading Luke 3, 15. Now as the people were in expectation, are you expecting? This week, will you come with expectation that God's about to burst something radical and new in your life? Listen, Jesus is God the Father's gift to you of eternal life, but the Holy Spirit is Jesus' gift to you to empower you in this life. And the Holy Spirit wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit in fire. And as I try to close this, there are several things the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life this week, and if you allow him, it will change your life forever. First, and in closing, which means absolutely nothing, the Holy Spirit wants to invade you. He wants to invade you. An invasion or an invasion is a military term of warfare where one army conquers another and they invade that part of the city. I want the musicians to come and all the singers come quickly. Invasion is an amazing thing. We saw this invasion take place in Afghanistan at the debacle that took place there as the Taliban came rushing in and they invaded every nook and every cranny of that city. Listen to me. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, not just in salvation, but in the mansion of your soul, there are many rooms. And the Bible said in the book of the Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And anyone who opens that door, I will come in and I will commune with them. But that's just not talking about salvation, friend. He's talking about the rooms that you have held in your life are no trespassing. Things that you have pushed way down. And he's knocking on that door as well. Why? Because he knows the little boy in you even though you're 35 years old. He knows the little girl in you even though you're 35 years old. And he wants to heal that room as well. He wants to invade you. Second, he wants to envelop you or seal you. Just play softly for me. Just the music. Real soft. In other words... To envelop you is to encase you in his protection. Ephesians 1.13 tells us we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So mom, if you're in fear of your children going to a certain school, he wants to envelop your child and protect them. See, when I was in school, they taught us how to handwrite back in the day. And we had to write letters and then we had to put it in an envelope, and that envelope kept that letter safe and clean. It protected it. And then we sealed that envelope, and we had to purchase a stamp, and that stamp paid the price to get that letter or the contents to the place it was supposed to go. The moment you become a child of God, the Holy Spirit wants to envelop you. He wants to protect you. He wants to get you to the next destination, which is heaven. Well, how do I get there? Jesus' blood's already purchased it for you. He has sealed you. And the Holy Spirit wants to get you there without spot or wrinkle. Third, he wants to instruct you or teach you. Jesus said in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit will impress you. If you'll listen, he'll give you instruction during the day. Go witness to that person. Go, go talk over here. Don't go home this way, go home this way. He'll impress you. Pastor Steve Malazzo, Valley Stream Assembly in Bethlehem, Valley Stream, excuse me, Bethlehem Assembly of God in Valley Stream, New York. His secretary was in the second tower during 9-11. They were between the 90th and the 100th floor when the, when the call came to go back. Go back. But she felt an impression to keep moving. She got in her car, she's driving away, as she looked up to see the second plane hitting the second tower. The Holy Spirit wants to impress you. Fifth, the Holy Spirit wants to indwell in you. He wants to live in you. He wants you to become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And fifthly, not only does he want to indwell in you, but he wants to energize you for ministry. And all these things can take place in your life this week if you ask the Holy Spirit to give you a spirit of expectancy. Lord, I'm expecting great things. I'm believing for great things. I'm hoping for great things. If that's you, then I'm going to ask you at the count of three just to stand and lift your hands and say, Lord, would you birth a spirit of expectancy in Church on the Rock? That we begin to expect your word to be yea and amen. That we lock out the politics of this culture and we just stand on your word and say, Lord, here we are. Just do a miracle in our church. We're expecting it. They're standing already. If that's you at the count of three, you stand right now. It's just here I am, Lord. One, don't miss them. Two, three, right now, right now, right now. 